This is the Post Shift Podcast, a broad look at the hospitality industry. What has happened, Post Shifters? Welcome back to another episode of the Post Shift Podcast. Um, this week is a little bit different. I'm literally trying to do a episode every single day interviewing people behind initiatives in the hospitality industry, people behind legislation, um, just everybody who's come together and helped out with this COVID-19 pandemic that has really gutted the hospitality industry in the country. So I'm, I'm trying to do an episode a day, whether that's from a live stream or an interview. Um, and today is no different. I'm interviewing the executive director of Able BC, <coughs> Jeff Giagnard. Um, he's been with Able BC for about six years, and they're really the the spokespeople for all licensed venues and liquor stores and nightclubs and bars and restaurants and everything in the province. And so um, he's really, really been behind, and his team have been behind a lot of legislation changes in BC here, including like to go alcohol um, and stuff like that. So there's more legislation to come. We had a great chat. He's an absolutely amazing guy. First time I've ever chatted to him, it just clicked straight away. It was fantastic. So hope you enjoy this episode, guys. Keep an eye out every single day. I'm trying to put out an episode to uh, help you out, whether it be about EI or HR or something. So uh, keep an ear out. I hope you enjoy the episodes, guys, and have a good day. Bye. Yes, I am. How are you holding up, man? It's got to be crazy for you as well. Yeah, like uh, the the first week of lockdown was everybody was like, well, what are we going to do? And in the last week and a half, a lot of the industry has pivoted so well that uh, everything's a little bit more positive, a little bit more perked up. Um, so, yeah, like it, it's it's interesting right now because we've got the BC wineries are all doing their new vintages, but they can't taste things in the traditional way so I'm helping a few wine brokers and wineries be a little bit more innovative in the way that they do their release so yeah like, you, uh, you really have to right and I know that I mean one of the significant challenges at the station is we obviously have no idea how this is going to uh, play out or how long this is going to play out but it's driving an inspiring level of creativity I will say among uh, marketers and uh, just various business owners I mean, some yeah. people are, are just trying to survive and other people are trying to find some opportunities in small moment. That's, that's encouraging. Uh, yeah, which I, I talked to a couple of, I, I talked to a couple of people and I think there is certain pros because there's been a lot of restaurants for a long time that have sort of held on to the old school belief of restaurant management. And now all of a sudden they, they have to adapt to, to go and take out and pick up and yeah. off sale liquor sales and stuff like that. So, yeah. I think the innovation side of things has been great, and I think it'll it's going to tweak the industry when this all recovers. But uh, we'll see. Maybe. Yeah, well, exactly. We'll see. It's really too soon to know. Um, it's too soon to how customers are going to react or how much of this is going to cost permanent social change. Like it's there's tons of questions up there. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, how's my sound volume? Can you hear me well enough for your purpose? Yeah, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Oh, so excellent. Um, so what I'm trying to do is I do a podcast twice a week already um, mm-hmm. called the Post Shift Podcast. It's very hospitality orientated. Um, and so I'm actually upping it. I'm almost doing a podcast every single day, interviewing people um, that are behind the initiatives. So a lot of obviously a whole lot of hospitality relief programs and stuff are out there right now. So I'm trying to fill up my schedule, which is a lot. I already do four podcasts a week on two different platforms, but it's all isolated. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I wanted to sort of sit down with yourself and, and chat to you about like what yourself and Able BC, because I know you've been a very busy man. I've been talking to um, a couple of the guys from the BCRFA 
um, and they've been praising you as well. So I, I wanted to sort of, okay. and it's great that I have a chance to sit down and chat to you about Able BC and yourself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, how about you sure. start by uh, introducing yourself? Yeah, of course. My name is Jeff Vinyard. My last name is Francis um, Vinyard, for those who see it <laughs> spelled. And I'm the executive director of BC's Alliance of Beverage Licensees, doing this job for about uh, going on six years now, I think. Uh, almost six years, and uh, we're the industry association that advocates specifically on behalf of British Columbia's private liquor industry, uh, that's pubs, bars, nightclubs, uh, private liquor stores, and then uh, anybody else basically who on-premise or retail liquor to consumers in BC. And uh, it feels kind of crazy sometimes that, you know, we are a multi-billion dollar industry and we're the largest sources of direct revenue for government. So the decisions that we try to make and what we advocate for on behalf of our members end up impacting tens of thousands of jobs and billions of dollars to our economy. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, but it can be difficult and trying some days. Um, so how have things changed since uh, all this pandemic sort of kicked off, like in your role? Did you feel beforehand that you were sort of relatively beating your head against the wall a lot of times and now all of a sudden the, the floodgates have been opened? Uh, that's a complicated question, so I'll answer it in a few different ways. So um, first off, I keep telling people that the hospitality industry is in many ways, you could say, the canary in the economic coal mine, right? Because after the very first week, and honestly, we're really only into our third week of the actual COVID crisis here in British Columbia. Uh, but after the very first week, about 80% of British Columbia's 190,000 workers in our bars, restaurants, pubs, breweries, et cetera, have been laid off. 80% of 190,000 people, uh, 80% of liquor primaries, Closed. There's about 2,000 of those businesses in BC, so about 1,500 closed. About 40% of our restaurants are closed. And, uh, and of those, we were thinking that probably half would likely not reopen when this is done. Our accommodation sector employs uh, about 60,000 people in BC. Two thirds of them were laid off. About 70% of hotels were closed, uh, mostly because they were operating at below 10% occupancy. If you know anything about hotels, you know. You know, the, the bare minimum industry standards, you have to maintain at least 20% occupancy or else you mm-hmm. can't keep the doors open. Uh, and BC's tourism sector laid off 40 to 70%. Uh, so if you look at tourism and hospitality, we lost about 250,000 workers in the first week and thousands of businesses. So obviously, that means a whole bunch of things for our industry. Uh, we're the first hit, the hardest hit, and we start to react as an industry association in a couple of different ways. The first thing is during that confusion and chaos, people don't know what the hell is going on, right? Uh, and you're trying to make decisions as a business owner about your business, about your employees, about your family. So the very first thing that we did, um, and I'm very fortunate that prior to this job, I, um, I worked on Parliament Hill and got extensive experience in communications. And uh, my colleague, Danielle LaRue, who works at Medable, has a master's in communication. So we went into crisis communications mode. Our first email I sent out, letting people know they're going to hear from us every single day about what's going on because, you know, they have questions. We were trying to answer questions, too. And we've just been sending out daily updates trying to collect all this information and explain to people what they actually need to know about the public health orders for their businesses, what programs are available, what details are not yet available, etc. Um, and I'm glad that those have been uh, well-received and our members are getting the information that they need from that, and then they're just engaging with us directly so we can answer their questions. And I, I feel like that was the bare minimum we could do to start off with. The second thing that industry associations such as ours do is 
We've got direct pipelines into government, and we're fortunate over the past few years. It's been difficult to make significant progress, but the liquor industry has coordinated through something called a business technical advisory panel, which doesn't matter too much what it is, but it's a group of industry associations, restaurants, um, cannabis natural brewers, craft brewers, craft distillers, um, uh, uh, ABC and rural agency stores, et cetera, that have put together, had put together a report and series of recommendations. I mean, we were trying to get some positive changes for our industry long term. Um, but we're very used to working together. So when this happened, we realized we needed some very immediate, urgent changes to liquor policy to help these businesses even survive, right? When their businesses are being so severely impacted, sometimes um, it's about cash. A lot of times it's about getting liquidity into their businesses. But sometimes it's about tweaking the rule to give them a new opportunity. That's where uh, I mean, a lot of liquor primaries and food primaries, bars and restaurants are now Obviously, everyone in BC is only doing takeout delivery, uh, but for the first time ever, you're allowed to sell alcohol with your takeout and delivery orders. That came a direct result of our industry's coordinated uh, requests. So, that kind of work happens simultaneously, right? So, we're trying to communicate with people, and then we're trying to get government to make good decisions in a crisis. And I've been blown away by how generous they have been and how quickly they have moved, even though it doesn't seem like it. Um, but for government, they're moving at breakneck speed. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're all working weekends, too, on this stuff. So anyway, I know that's a very long answer, but is that a bit of context so, so, for how, how it works? That's, that's a perfect answer. Do you think, I think sometimes with the hospitality industry, there is so many variables. And uh, when you talk to tourism bodies and stuff like that, hospitality is always sort of seen as a click-on for tourism, um, yeah. with like your DMOs and stuff like that. Do you think the government underestimated just how big impact the hospitality industry was going to be affected in the way of just like the severity of how many jobs, because I don't think sometimes the the figures and the numbers of people in the industry really are actually close to true, because you've got so many part-time people and casual people and one-shift-a-week sort of people. Um, yeah. Do you think that the government realizes the, sh- the true impact of hospitality has on, on the GP and well, stuff like that? Yeah, so there, I think there's probably two components to that question as well. I mean, first off, Every government underestimates the total economic impact of uh, the hospitality industry, the liquor industry, and the tourism industry. I mean, when I worked in federal politics, uh, we were constantly having to remind folks that tourism, if you just look at that one, contributes more to our GDP than fisheries, forestry, and agriculture combined. Right? But people don't think of it in those terms. The government mm-hmm. chronically does underfund some of those initiatives. Um, here in British Columbia, if you look at the tourism industry, I would say that our government thinks the same thing, that it's, it just keeps trucking along in good times, and you don't realize how fragile it is until something like this happens, like how leveraged a lot of these creative business owners are trying to, to make a go of it, or how many people's jobs rely on it, or how much economic activity it creates. I think that they definitely understand um, the section of the hospitality industry, if you segmented it up to specifically liquor. They definitely understand how much money we make for government. Uh, it's over a billion dollars a year to per government to British Columbia. It's the, I think, fourth or fifth largest source of direct revenue for government, uh, which means, and sometimes it becomes quite difficult to make any policy changes because everything has significant revenue implications for government. So I think they understood that part. But when it comes to the overall fragility of uh, our industry and, and um when something like this happens, the tempo change and how quickly businesses go down, I don't mm-hmm. think they anticipated that at all. I don't think really uh, very many people did. 
even our operators or, or our um, folks like myself and industry associations, uh, we didn't fully anticipate until we were in that first week and seeing it happen, right? Like on March 16th, the day before St. Patrick's Day, which in the liquor industry, as you well know, is like Christmas. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the most profitable day. It's crazy out there. <laughs> the evening of March 16th, the Donnelly Group, 20 locations in British Columbia and Ontario at around 6 p.m. shut their doors, laid off 600 workers. Right? And that's one business in that day alone, that evening. This is before the city of Vancouver put out a notice saying we're not going to be doing, you know, St. Patrick's Day, mm-hmm. probably did. Um, we lost about 100 businesses in Vancouver on that day alone. And that's still fairly on, early on, right? No one really anticipated how quickly uh, those businesses would react and how fragile it was. So I don't blame government for that, but um, it was just frustrating. All I can say is that they were immediately taking our calls and immediately asking our feedback on how we can help right now. They used wow. some pretty creative regulatory tools to make quick, immediate, temporary changes in our industry, and there's more support coming. Uh, we're still talking with them several times today. So, um, no, they didn't anticipate it, but they owned up and tried to fix it very, very quickly. And uh, I know that nothing is coming fast enough, but they're still working on it with us, in, like I say, in, in daily phone calls. Well, so what's uh, what is what's what's your game, long-term game plan? What's the what's the ABLEBC striving for? <laughs> long-term. Well, uh, our long-term game plan is to reevaluate our long-term game plan. There is no long-term in this moment right now. Uh, everybody is just trying to help our members and our businesses and our communities survive through this. So our goal is to be here as a voice of calm uh, and clarity as much as we can with our members and with the public uh, and with government to help everybody understand this is what our industry, industry needs to survive. Once we get through this component of the crisis, because we will, right? I mean, despite watching all those movies on Netflix, this is not going to be what takes us down as a species. Once we get through this, our medium-term goal will be to focus on recovery, right? So if you can find a way to get short-term supports, you know, wage subsidies and uh, rent abatement and forgivable loans and all of those sorts of things to help people get through, there has to be something on the other side, Right. All of these businesses that have gone out of business or the ones that have closed temporarily are going to be trying to come back. And that is not just able to ask, but I think all industry associations will have to play a vital role in helping government understand. And we'll probably have to help and even administer to a certain extent some of those sorts of programs uh, and funding and incentives to help people get back on their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you understand, and then people listen to this. Uh, if they don't, I'll try to be abundantly clear. This economic correction is worse than the 2008 correction. It's worse than 9-11. This is the largest economic challenge that we're facing since the Second World War. So we wow. need a similar level of response and coordination to tackle that on the other side. So I think that's where we're going to be long-term. Um, of course, I also have to put in a caveat that every association such as ours is a membership association. We get paid because our you know liquor primaries and liquor stores pay a membership fee to us. So we have to confront our own revenue challenges, which... We've got some time on that, but uh, that'll hopefully we can figure all that out so we can be here to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think long term, yeah, we have to figure out how to help this industry recover, survive, recover, and thrive. I did see an article this morning um, that the economic uh, sort of bailout for restaurants and bars isn't going to cover nightclubs and liquor primaries right now. Yeah. Um, is there a reason behind that? Yeah, so some of it is stupid, um, and, I, and it's not that government is doing it intentionally in some cases, but it's just 
like for as one example. So there's uh, they announced very early on the federal government announced a ten billion dollar uh, fund for loans for businesses, and they're, the government just uses their existing kind of arms, like the Export Development Bank or the Business Development Bank, and says, there's funds there, go apply. Because of some stuff that happened many years ago, where there was like a, a strip club or something that got funded through the Business Development Bank, and there was some, mm. some negative media around government funding that, uh, not that I really think government should care too much about what sort of business they're, uh, you're helping to support, is whether or not you're contributing to the economy and society, but uh, but because of that, there's a weird rule that says, well, we're not going to fund liquor primaries or any business that has more than 50% of the sales coming from liquor. So that's my clubs, bars, a lot of restaurants, mm-hmm. cocktail lounges, liquor stores, wine stores, wineries, breweries, manufacturers, all this kind of crap that gets caught up in that. Obviously, when the federal government says, here's $10 billion to support businesses, they were not in any way thinking all businesses except bars are the ones mm-hmm. So we've already written... Uh, to the Minister of Finance federally, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister, and we fed it directly to the Prime Minister's office and explained what's going on. Uh, I'm very optimistic we'll, we'll get that change. They, they've acknowledged that wasn't the intent of it. Uh, mm-hmm. It just re- requires the federal government telling the Business Development Bank to change their rules. Um, and I think there's a few other programs that have come uh, to our attention like that, like the uh, one of the benefit programs is only designed for uh, Canadian majority-owned Canadian uh, small businesses, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's for some reason specific to a certain type of corporate structure that would exclude partnerships or public corporations, which is why Air Canada is laying off 15,000 people. Um, those decisions, because the government's trying to move quickly, uh, are being made a bit too quickly and coarsely. And I think that's, that's obviously where guys like us come in to try and figure that out quickly. Um, but don't in any way assume that they're saying, you know, liquor primaries are not significant contributors to our economy or they don't want them there. They just, it just goes back to a, a policy yeah. decision someone made 10 years ago, right? Yeah, archaic Puritan, Puritan rules at to some stage. Exactly, yeah. So um, do you think there's going to be, in, in, in the province, are you, well, do you think there's going to be legislation changes, the sort of stuff that we've been chasing for like the last five years? And I know ABLBC has been lobbying for like mm-hmm. private liquor store purchases and wholesale pricing for licensees and stuff like that. Yeah. Do you think yeah, yeah. these things are definitely on the table? And because I, I look at it as, a, as almost a reverse stimulus plan, you know, you want yeah. to see private liquor stores open. So it's great to have on-premise buying from them, wholesale pricing, obviously to give a, a kickback to the, the on-premise and the restaurant uh, industry. Do you think yeah. it's going to come down the pipeline? Well, I think that everything is on the table right now, and government's looking for our feedback and our industry's feedback. So we've obviously pushed through, uh, and government's currently sitting on a, a, a short series of recommendations that are in that universe, right? So obviously we think right now that giving liquor primaries and food primaries access to a wholesale price instead of a hospitality price, even if it's just on a temporary basis to get through mm-hmm. this so they can save some money, makes eminent sense. We've explained that to government. Uh, they're going through a process to evaluate whether or not it makes sense. Uh, we're trying, though, how do I put this? So um, it's important for me that we're not doing something opportunistically just because it's the crisis that we try mm-hmm. and drive through a longstanding policy here. I think that's that's stupid, and you know, government would push back on that. This is a crisis, so our, our recommendations are focused on urgent things right, that are going to help people's businesses now, things that are putting money in their pocket or things that are reducing their costs. Because uh, there's also in our, you know, the wish list of recommendations for some issues about how the LDB operates and, uh, you know, a bunch of things that are that are going to be more focused now on the recovery effort. So 
the two things that you mentioned are for sure able to hold the highest policy priorities, and I think they make uh, hospitality pricing makes eminent sense in a in a period. Um, BC's private liquor stores are actually doing okay at the moment. They have staffing challenges, but for the most part, their sales are steady. So um, when hospitality reopens, right, and people go back to on-premise service, I think it makes a lot of sense to allow those businesses to get the products and service they need for private liquor stores and not to be forced to buy from government stores the way they are. I don't anticipate that happening in the short term. I anticipate that being more of that recovery bucket. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but absolutely, we're, we're trying to advance anything right now that has a direct positive impact on people's businesses. Yeah, because I think a lot of people, they, like even in the industry, they poo-poo the BC liquor board to a degree as well as liquor stores and stuff. But the taxes that they make in the liquor stores uh, do go to like hospitals and medical and, and that, like that, that sort of thing. So it, it taxes aren't just going into the pockets of of anything. It actually is helping out, especially in a crisis like right now. They are, but I will say, if you look at, um, you know, in normal times, overall sales to hospitality customers, primaries, food primaries, it's about $600 million of business for the provincial government per year. Um, and they're purchasing that product uh, at wholesale price, or they're purchasing it for themselves, essentially, at wholesale price, and they make a bit of profit margin off it on the retail side. But ultimately, most of the profit for government uh, and the funds that they're using to, to, to fund other services is made up on the markup on the wholesale back end. So I, I don't think it would have a devastating impact on their finances or the ability to support the emergency services or roads or education or health care mm-hmm. like that um, by allowing the private sector to do it because the private sector is still going to pay wholesale price and we're still going to pay, collect and pay GST on it as well. So it is yeah, a few million dollars for sure. And uh, I mean, our analysis in previous times suggested that it would actually stimulate some activity in the private sector, which would offset um, mm-hmm. any potential revenue hit to government. But it's a it's a complicated math equation, of course, and they have to try and anticipate how things would play out. Uh, but at the end of the day, as I said, we're we're just trying to focus on things that'll help our members get through this, and then help them recover, um, and then help rebuild this industry. Because no one knows when we're going to go back to on-premise service, right? Or no one knows how customers are going to react or they're suddenly going to expect tables to be six feet apart as opposed to beside mm-hmm. each other, right? Or, um, and you know, how that's going to impact your wage rates and your purchase um, costs and, and all that kind of stuff. That has, that's going to be sort of over the next few months. Is ABC sort of talking about minimum wage and that sort of thing, or is that sort of out of the scope of, of the organization? Because um, I know a lot of people are talking about a broken system yeah. with cost of living and all that sort of stuff. Is that in the scope of stuff that you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we think of wage in a couple of ways, and not, not to give you too long of an answer, so I'll give you a short one first. So um, we are not currently requesting any changes to minimum wage policy for government, and partly because uh, there's two realities to minimum wage, right? I mean, if you're making minimum wage, it's it, it's not enough uh, to live on in in, uh, in place like Vancouver. I live downtown Vancouver. Like, it wouldn't work without those wage rates. Um, but it's, it's also... Um, for the service industry, right, it's off people top off their income with tips. And the average liquor server in British Columbia makes closer to 18 or $20 an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge, though, is that for a business owner, you know, ABC works for the liquor licensees, business owners, the past couple of uh, increases in minimum wage have had a significant impacts, especially when combined with the employer health tax. Uh, and I'll give you some, you know, numbers, which you probably know, and I'm sure some of your listeners know, but if you own um, an average liquor primary in the province of BC, you're probably top line revenue of, you know, $10 million a year or so. 
of that, you're trying to keep your wage rates to about 25% of overall revenue, so $500,000. Um, and most liquor primaries make maybe 3 to 5% profit. So let's say it's five, they pull out $100,000 in profit from the owner of that business. What happened when the last couple of minimum wage increases uh, and the employer health tax went up in the last two years, it increased wage rates, uh, or that bucket of that $500,000, by about 22, 22.5%. So $500,000 became $625,000, which means your $100,000 profit became a $25,000 operating loss, mm-hmm. just because of two simple government policy changes. Um, increasing wage rates right now for the business perspective is not going to be helpful. Um, mm-hmm. And from that perspective, we would, we would want to have those uh, wage increases delayed. Uh, but I'm also aware, you know, I used to make minimum wage. Like, I'm aware of how tough that is. So you, it's not a reasonable request of government right now during this period to ask people to make less money. Uh, and I don't think government would hear that very well. So in some ways, we've done a lot of work on it previously. And we'll continue to do on it, but it becomes a bit of a political discussion. Is that the highest, most important priority for our members right now when they're worried about paying rent? Right? Mm-hmm. And if they not have any staff on payroll or when the federal government introduced a payroll subsidy to help tackle it. Like I, I think there are other ways around it than dealing with, with wage. Um, and that way you can kind of sidestep whether or not it should go up or down or how it did impact those businesses. Does that kind of make sense? It's a complicated answer, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that perfect sense. I'm curious actually about rents. I've seen a lot of articles about rent freezes and I'm talking to clients and, and friends. Um, some landlords are being very aggressive in the way yeah. that they're like, nope, where it's going to get paid April 1st. That's the way it is. And then yeah. others have been very understanding and said, you know what, if pay 50%. Like, pay a, a reduced amount or I'll offset it for how long this takes. Um, is that a big concern for a lot of the members? It's a massive concern, right? I mean, your um, rent costs, especially when you have no revenue coming in or you're trying to retool your, your, uh, your operation to do takeout and delivery when you weren't really set up for that. Uh, that becomes one of your most significant expenses. And the challenge that what we have is I, I sympathize with the landlords as well. Right? I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they probably don't own the property, right? They probably mortgaged it, uh, and that's their business. And they can't afford to lose money off of it any more than the, the person renting lose money. So what you're hearing is the more generous landlords saying, okay, well, uh, you know, you owe me 20 grand a month, so let's def- let's put it down to 10 grand for the next group of months, and then with a within the next 18 months, you pay, pay it back, which is very generous, except from the business owner's perspective, from the licensee's owner's perspective. Um, I'm closed right now. I'm not making any money, so I have to borrow 10 grand a month to, put, to pay for that. Mm-hmm. And then I'm still 30 grand or 40 grand behind for the amount that I owe you, and I have to pay back over 18 months. So all it's really going to do is delay the inevitable closure of my business. So that's why we're talking with the government about uh, forgivable loans, Right? And mm-hmm. the new uh, $40,000 loan that Perkins uh, announced the Fed last week, it's, it does forgive the first 10000 or can be forgiven. I think that's a good start, although the numbers need to be significantly larger. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rental supports that we're looking for, the rent abatement, it doesn't necessarily have to go to the, the business. It has to go to the people who are renting to those businesses because they're, they say they're, on, they're on the hook as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's complicated, but um, I don't think... In this moment, it is reasonable on either side to just accept the status quo. You just say, hey, I don't care that you're going under pay rent. Well, then they're going to go under, they're going to close their business, and no one's going to pay rent because no one's, no one's signing a lease right now and opening up yeah. their business. Right? <laughs> right? So um, in the meantime, we're just hoping everyone can be a little bit flexible and kind to each other during this crisis um, while we work on federal supports that will hopefully make this a bit easier for both sides. 
So I've noticed um, this is we're going to tie this off, so I don't want to keep taking up too much of your time today. But um, yeah, no worries. Um, I've noticed that a lot of the memos that you guys have been sending out, the BC Liquor, Liquor Board has been sending out, um, all the memos have been dated July 15th, which has been very interesting. Obviously, I have a lot of people asking, like, how long is this going to last for? Is this a, a four-week thing, or are we going to be back operational by the end of April? Um, and I think that when you see BC Liquor Board memos coming out saying July, this met, like, uh, all the changes in the legislation and stuff, memo, mm. uh, to, uh, this policy changes till July 15th. Is this the sort yeah. of pitch that you as an organization as well as the government is sort of seen as the, the end of the tunnel sort of date, or is it just something that's sort of put in place as a guesstimation? Uh, it's a guesstimate for sure. And we, in our request to government, uh, have not, we never once said July 15th date. Um, we have asked for more timelines, like three months, six months, 12 months. Mm-hmm. No one knows for sure where this is going to go. Uh, even the best estimates are just that. Estimates, right? It's a complete estimate on it. Um, I think there's a couple other things to think about with that. So they're, probably the reason they're choosing it is government is, you know, if you're making a decision on March 15th and you look at, well, this thing hasn't even peaked yet, and then there's going to be recovery, like, I don't know, give it four months and see what happens, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think, and I'm not positive about this, but I think when they're using certain regulatory tools to get temporary exemptions, like, uh, you know, temporary change to terms of conditions of the primary group primary to allow them to deliver alcohol and food, um, some of those temporary exemptions can only work for a certain period of time. So I think they probably have more forced into certain kinds of timelines. In no way means, though, that once we get closer to that date and we realize that things are not working and our industry still needs support or, hey, things are going great and we're recovering faster, uh, that doesn't mean that those dates can't change. And that'll be mm-hmm. part of our job as association to figure it out. The big X factor, though, um, I'll be completely blunt about this as well, is the United States. Uh, despite what some would choose to believe or choose to articulate, they have not handled the early stages of this crisis well. Hundreds of thousands of Americans are going to get sick, and many of them are going to die. Uh, and while that's difficult emotionally and psychologically, it's also difficult economically. Over $2 billion of good goes back across the fourth across the Canadian and American border every single day in normal times. So if their economy is hindered long-term because of you know, their response to COVID, uh, then you're going to see significant economic impacts, which will ripple through to change the economy. So even though a public health officer uh, here in D.C., Bonnie Henry, is doing an incredible job, uh, would say, if we do our jobs right, uh, collectively as a society, this is probably going to peak in mid-late April here in D.C., and then mm-hmm. we'll start to see some declines. Uh, that number does not take into account, because it can't, uh, what may or may not happen in the United States, and that may have an impact on our long-term recovery as well. So that's what keeps me up at night a little bit. Um, and when I look at the dates of July 15th, I just ignore them, uh, and to be honest. Like, well, that's great. We have it in place for now. We'll work on the next mm-hmm. thing, try and get the next support for our members. And if I, we're still dealing with this crap in June, uh, and our members still need support, I'll be right back on government's doorstep saying July 15th wasn't enough. It needs to be September 15th. And we'll mm-hmm. just keep pushing forward, probably in like three month buckets or something like that. Is at least what we're going to try to do. Well, I really want to thank you for all the hard work that you and the organization are doing right now. Like, I, I think the kind of thing. The the amount of communication and uh, feedback and stuff that I post and stuff has just got a ton of. It's just helping out a lot of operators right now, and I, I appreciate all the hard work you're doing within the government with this legislation change and stuff. And I really appreciate your time. This was a fantastic chat. 
Well, it's my pleasure, Sean. Thanks so much for what you're doing for the industry as well, and uh, we're going to keep at it until this is done. Thank you very much, Jeff. I'll catch you very soon. Have a good day. Bye. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening, Pose Shifters. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I really enjoy sitting down with friends and peers and uh, just chatting about the industry and getting down to the nuts and bolts of what's really going on out there. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe, comment, everything on all the platforms. Just hit it up and I'll do my best to answer any queries or questions you have. I'll see you next week, guys. Bye.